if you weren't here last Sunday, I'm going to strongly encourage you to go to our website and listen to the message that I shared with our church last week about the vision God has given me and our leaders for the future of our church. And my invitation, I really believe Jesus' invitation for you to come together in unity around that vision. And as many people are wrestling with what that vision looks like and their place in it, let's not forget the focus is on introducing one more person to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we need your help to do that. I want to talk to you today as a part of this One Church series about the urgent versus the important. And in just a moment, we'll go to the Gospel of Luke. It will be in chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. But some of you know that my dad is in the hospital in Augusta, Georgia. So I've spent most of last week with him. And uh, he went in uh, because he was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. But while he was there, he had a heart attack. And so I'm sitting there with him in his room. And he was experiencing chest pains. And, of course, he alerted the doctors and the nurses. And they drew blood and... We're looking at the monitor. A few minutes later, 12 people from cardiac critical care came rushing into his little room uh, there at the hospital and said, Mr. Powell, you're having a heart attack. We need to take you to the critical care unit. We're going to get you settled and, and we're going to take care of this, but we need, to, we need to move you. And so there's 12 people in this little room with me and my dad and my brother. And my dad has a great positive outlook. He always has. And he's, he's always um, just looking on the bright side of things. And as they're rushing around him, doing all their work, talking to each other, uh, my dad says, could we do this after I eat? Could I eat lunch? And then we go. <laughs> and one of the, one of the doctors said, uh, Mr. Powell, I think it's best if we focus on what's most important at this moment. We'll take care of your nutritional needs later. And you know how that works. It works. And by the way, they op successfully opened that 100% uh, blocked artery, and he's feeling much better, and now he's back in a regular room, so we're grateful for that, and we appreciate your prayers. But you know, that's how hospitals work. Hospitals triage patients based on their need, and they're going to focus on the most important need at the moment, and they have to set those priorities. And I think we as a church are doing something similar that we need to focus on what is most important. Sometimes what is urgent in our face at the moment is not actually the most important need that we should be dealing with. Uh, for example, if you're not a, a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, we're so glad that you're here. But maybe you're just kind of coming today with questions and you're just investigating what this is all about and what you believe. Maybe you've already made up your mind, even though you're here, that you don't really believe all this. We understand that. And this is a safe place for people, regardless of what they believe or where they are in their journey. But can I tell you, sometimes what brings people to our church for the first time is an urgent need that they feel in their life. It could be a relational need. Maybe there's a struggle going on in a relationship, a boyfriend and girlfriend, or maybe it's a marriage relationship that's kind of having trouble or difficulty. Or sometimes whenever young families start having children, they, they look at each other and say, we got to get in church. We, you know, we need to get our child in church. And so they show up for church. Or if they're single, you know, they start coming to church looking to build friendships and relationships and looking for direction in life. Sometimes people come to church because of financial issues they're dealing with. They're, they're hurting financially because of maybe they lost their job. 
or they, they have a lot of medical bills and they're piling up and it's just getting to be harder and harder to make ends meet. And so they come to church looking for some help, but more than that, just looking for hope and encouragement. They sign up for our Financial Peace University class that helps people get out of debt and, and start saving for the future and, and building some good habits in their life. Sometimes people come to a church because they're lonely and uh, they, they are looking for friends. There are all kinds of reasons people come to church. And we love being a church that helps people with practical needs of their life. That's why we sometimes say we're here to help you reach higher. That's why that logo of our church has those three upward moving lines. We're here to help you reach higher for the best life God has for you. And so we love meeting those practical needs. But you know, your... Your most urgent need that brought you here today may not be your most important need. And Jesus clarifies for us that sometimes we need to focus on the most important need. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how that Jesus came to dispel notions about why he came and what he's up to in people's lives. Where everybody wants him to meet their urgent need at the moment, he's really more interested in meeting people's most important need. This is also a good reminder for us as a church, because as a church, if we're not careful, we will lose our focus and we will forget what's most important in people's lives in this community and the reason Christ placed us here as a church, as a body of believers who come together to not only worship ourselves as believers worship Christ, but we come together ourselves to also be the body of Christ in this community to show his love, to show his care. And so many churches forget what's most important. They forget the most important need that people have right around our church. And so Jesus is going to clarify things for us today, that your most urgent need may not be your most important need. And he points out what the most important need that any of us have. So why don't we read together Luke chapter 5. Beginning with verse 17, Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Now, this is a very familiar story, and many of you have read it and you've heard it before. I want you to listen to it today as if it's for the very first time. I want you to have some fresh eyes as you take a look at this. Maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing this story. You're going to enjoy this story. This is a real-life incident that happened in Jesus' ministry when he just got started preaching and teaching. So he's launched out of his public ministry. He's going from city to city, and he's preaching the gospel. He's, he's preaching about God. He's also performing miracles and changing people's lives. And because of that, his popularity is on the rise, and people are crowding around him to hear him, to see what he's going to do next. And that's what we pick up here in Luke 5, verse 17. It says, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Verse 18. And behold, some men who were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now get the picture here. Jesus has come to Capernaum, not too far from his hometown of Nazareth. And everybody hears that Jesus is in town. 
And so they want to come and hear him. They want to come and see him. They want to see if he's going to perform a miracle like he has done in other areas. And there are so many people that the house is full. People are surrounding the outside of this private home. Well, among the people who hear that Jesus is coming are four unnamed, unknown to us men who think about going to hear Jesus. But while they're talking about going to hear Jesus, they also think about one other person. We don't know if this was a friend of theirs or a family member of one of the four or just a, a neighbor that they knew about. But they thought immediately about this one man who was paralyzed. Don't know if he was paralyzed from birth. Don't know if he was paralyzed because of an accident. But they knew that their paralyzed friend needed Jesus' power to heal. We've heard stories about him. So it's not enough that we want to go meet Jesus. It's not enough that we want Jesus to preach to us. We also want to bring one more with us who could use Jesus' power in his miracle-working healing. So let's go get that guy. So they agreed together, the four did, to go and get the one person that needed the touch of Jesus. And so they bring him to the house, but they are dismayed when they get there that the house is so crowded they can't get through the door. How's Jesus going to know we're even here? How's Jesus going to know our friend is paralyzed and could use the healing of Jesus if we can't get him to Jesus? So rather than giving up, Rather than looking at their poor friend lying on a mat saying, well, we tried. They take matters into their hands, literally, and they come up with an ingenious plan. If we can't get through the door, we're going to go through the roof. Now, in that day, homes were typically flat-roofed structures. They would be mud walls, and then beams would be placed over the walls, and then branches and thatch and mud would be built up to form a roof. And so these guys decide, we're getting up on that roof. We're going to tear a hole in this roof, not just a small hole, not just a skylight, but a hole large enough that we can lower this grown man lying prostrate all the way down to Jesus. And so that's what they do. Imagine you're sitting in the house listening to Jesus. Jesus is mid-sermon. And all of a sudden, you hear noises on the roof. You think, well, that's odd. And the noises don't go away. They actually get louder. And then in the light, you begin to see dust and dirt and debris falling from the ceiling. And eventually, everyone is so distracted, even Jesus stops teaching as now there is debris falling on the floor. People are brushing off the, the dust and dirt from their, their clothes Say, what is going on up there? Eventually, as you look up at the ceiling, you see fingers poking holes through the ceiling, and then a whole hand, and then more hands, and they're ripping back the roof. And then you see four faces looking down. And you're looking up. Jesus is looking up. And you see those four guys saying, You guys need to move. You need to move. Clear a path. And then there's a mat slowly lowered down in front of you in the room. That poor guy, he had to trust his friends. I mean, there he is paralyzed at their mercy. He can't see anything but their faces as they are lowering him down. No, no, hold your end. Don't, don't let him slide off the bottom. 
and there he is. And finally, he's, he's hearing the commotion. He's going down in the room, and he looks over, maybe, and he sees the face of Jesus. <laughs> eyeball to eyeball. Well, hey, <laughs> you must be the one I've heard about. And eventually, they get him to the floor. And the room is stunned. And I have to imagine that there was a, and, I, and I'm only speculating, this is only my holy imagination. You can ask Jesus when you get to heaven, but I can only imagine Jesus sitting there with the biggest smile on his face, just amazed at what he has just seen, just amazed at the kind of faith these four friends had that they wouldn't let anything stop them from getting their friend to Jesus. We don't care how hard it is. We don't care how inconvenient it is. We don't care how people look at us and how they talk about what we are doing. We don't care what people think of us. This guy needs Jesus, and we're not going to stop until we get him before Jesus. I think probably among the people who aren't happy would be the owner of the home. You can only imagine, Jesus better have some liability insurance because somebody is repairing my roof. We'll also find out that the religious people weren't happy. I can't imagine religious people not being happy. But there were some religious people not happy. But here's why I say that I think Jesus was happy. Look at verse 20. And when he saw... Their faith. Think about that. When he saw their faith. Whose faith? Well, it's plural. Their faith. When he saw the faith of those four friends. And I believe when he saw the faith of that one paralyzed man. Yeah, please take me to Jesus. Yes, I've heard the stories about Jesus. I believe he can change my life. When Jesus saw their faith, he is pleased. He said, now he's saying to the man, the paralyzed man, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And maybe I should have called my sermon today the great letdown. Because this guy has just been let down in front of the crowd and in front of Jesus. But put yourself on his mat. There you are paralyzed, unable to walk. And everybody in the room knows why you are there. And those four friends peering through the ceiling know why they went through all that trouble to get their friend to Jesus. Everybody knows this guy needs healing. And yet Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Well, okay. Thank you for that. Is that it? <laughs> are we done? Guys, I guess you could hoist me back up. My sins are forgiven. Can't walk, but my sins are forgiven. Maybe the four friends are going, did, did we hear him right? Did he just say, man, your sins are forgiven? We went through all that trouble. Does he not see the guy's paralyzed? That's why we brought him here. We're not here for a sermon. We're not here to hear a pious platitude from the Old Testament. This guy needs healing. Doesn't he get it? And it's the great letdown. Because everybody's expecting a miracle. And Jesus just utters a few words. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And that's where this story intersects with our story. Because Jesus is not oblivious to this man's urgent need for healing. 
Jesus is not so callous that he doesn't care about the condition this man is physically living in. Jesus understands, however, that your most urgent need is not always your most important need. Jesus knows that the most pressing need of your life is not always the primary need of your life. Jesus knows that your felt need is not always equal to your real need. In fact, whenever we're born and we come into this world, we already have a set of priorities in life that that are just wired into us, I think. Let let me give them to you. Here's the list of priorities that that, uh, we want right in our lives. We want health, wealth, companionship, and purpose. That's typically what we see as most important in our lives. We want health. I don't know about you, but personally, I want to I be healthy. I want to be strong. I want to live a long life. And when I die at 108 years old, I want to die in my sleep peacefully. Never having been in a hospital, never having any sickness, never having to go to a nursing home. I just want everything working the whole time until time is done. And then I just wake up in heaven. Woo, I made it to heaven. I want health. And we spend billions of dollars as Americans to buttress our health. We even spend money on stuff that we know goodwill won't work, but we're so desperate we'll try it. We want health. Nothing wrong with that, dear friend. We want wealth. Hey, I want to I wanna make money. I want to I want to be prosperous. I want to be self-secure. Uh, I, I want a little more than I got now. And we want wealth so that we can do things, so that we can care for other people. And there's nothing wrong with that either. A lot of time and energy goes into accumulating wealth. And then we want companionship. And we kind of all know if you got the first two, that makes it easier on the third one, doesn't it? So... Just saying. But, uh, so we want companionship. We're wired for relationships as human beings. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God says it's not good for man to be alone. God wired us as relational people. And so we want a friend or we want a girlfriend or a boyfriend or we want a spouse or, or we want to have significant relationships with people at work or at church. We want companionship. We want to know that there are people in our life who love us and care for us and for whom we can love and care. And then we want purpose. We want significance. I want to know my life matters. I don't want to just waste time. I don't want to mark time. I want to make a difference in my life. I want, I want success. I want fame. I, I want to feel like I'm contributing. I want to feel like that, that my life is important. And sometimes whenever we go through midlife crises, we question, does my life have any purpose? Am I significant? Am I successful? I thought I'd be here by now, but I'm not. And it's just that echo of our heart that says, I'm longing for purpose. Nothing wrong with that either, by the way. In fact, those are all valid, and God cares about every one of those things. But your most urgent need is not always your most important need. These things are temporary. If you're healthy and strong today, enjoy it. Your body at this very moment is conspiring against you. Just going to be honest with you. If you're enjoying uh, wealth, better be careful. 
because it can be here today, gone tomorrow. He who lives by the stock market dies by the stock market. If you're looking for companionships and you've found that, wonderful, enjoy that. But those relationships can be over in a second, either through disappointment or abandonment or death. And if you're looking for purpose, that's wonderful. But even your purpose of life can seem so futile whenever you come to the end of your life and you realize, man, I've, I'm almost done. Maybe I could have been more purposeful. <laughs> Maybe my life could have been more significant. So even that is like sometimes chasing the wind. You just don't know whenever you catch it. Those things are temporary. Nothing wrong with those things, but they're temporary. And here's the danger. There's something that never makes our list. What are your top needs? Well, here they are. But we don't add one more top need to our list. Here's what we all desperately need. Forgiveness. Jesus says, I'm not blind. I know this man is paralyzed. I know why you brought him here. I know why he wanted to come here. I know why everybody's watching with anticipation. Because they're looking for the miracle for me to say, I'm going to heal you. Get up and walk. But instead, man, your sins are forgiven. I have seen your faith. I've seen the faith of your friends who brought you here. And I'm going to focus on the most important need of your life. And that is to be forgiven of your sin so that you can have a right relationship with God. These other things, they're great, but they're temporary. What I want to focus on right now is what is eternal. And what is eternal is most important right now. Jesus would one time ask his followers in a sermon, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world and lose their soul?" What have you gained if you have health and wealth and companionship and purpose and yet you die and spend eternity separated from the God who loved you, who created you, who wanted a relationship with you, who sent his son to die for you on a cross so that you could be with him forever. You rejected all that, but you've got everything else. What good is it? You've not gained everything. You've lost everything. And so that's why Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Man, your sins are forgiven you. But people aren't happy. Verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? They're accusing Jesus of blaspheming God, of taking the name of God in vain, because they knew correctly what Jesus was doing when he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was saying, man, I have authority from God to forgive you of your sin. On behalf of God, I forgive you of your sin. And they knew, wait a minute, if he's just a mere man, this is blasphemy. In fact, they asked the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive a person of their sin, of not loving God like they should and not loving their neighbor like they should. Only God can change a person's eternal standing before God. Only God can forgive a person, wipe the slate clean, pay the debt, erase, cancel the debt that a person owes against God. Men can't do that. Only God can do that. 
Who does this guy, Jesus, think he is? Does he think he's God? Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Absolutely. He is none other than God in flesh. He is God in a bod. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But they don't believe that. They don't receive that. They accuse him of blasphemy. And they're whispering to themselves, who does he think he is? They're thinking this in their mind. But don't ever think like that around Jesus. Because he can read your mind. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now this morning in this sermon. Did you know that? He knows right now you're thinking, I wish Chick-fil-A was open on Sundays. That's what he, he knows you're thinking that. So when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Now he asked this question, verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier? And everybody in the room knew the answer to the question is, it is easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Because how do you know if anything really happened once you uttered those words? Anybody can say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. I'll get back with you. Your sins are forgiven. Anybody can go around doing that. How does anybody know that it's really doing something? How do I really know my sins are forgiven? How do I really know that I'm now right with God? How do I really know that rather than being eternally separated from God because my sins have been canceled, that now I have a right relationship with God forever? How do I know that I can now have confidence that I'm accepted by God? Because these are just words if anybody else says them. So Jesus says, which is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's harder to say rise up and walk because as soon as you utter those words, everybody's watching to see if there are pow- is there power behind your words. All right, let's see if he really is the miracle worker we've been told he is. He says, so it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But that doesn't mean... I don't have the power to forgive sins. In fact, this is what he says. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And everyone now falls silent and they lean in. What's going to happen? Verse 25. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Man, he is praising God. He is shouting. He is singing. And verse 26 says, And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. In another gospel, it says they left saying, we've never seen anything like this before. It's amazing to me, and in fact, it's sad to me, that they yawned at what happened when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Because it wasn't important to them. Didn't make the list. But they're all excited about the temporary Rise up and walk. And when he gets up and walks out, sure, it's a miracle. And they should glorify God and they should be excited. But they missed the greatest miracle. It wasn't the physical healing. It was the spiritual healing. The forgiveness of sin. 
Listen, we don't know what happens to this guy later, but we know this. Eventually he grew old and died. Physical healing was just temporary. Nobody's walking around the world today saying, Jesus healed me 2,000 years ago and I can't die. I'm still here. No, it was all temporary. Jesus says, but to prove to you, I have the authority as the Son of Man to forgive people of their sins. I'm going to show you how I can erase one of the consequences of sin, which one of the consequences of sin is sickness. So I'm going to prove to you that I can forgive sins by erasing one of the consequences of it, and I'm going to heal this guy. And the point is not the miracle. The point is the message of the greater miracle. Jesus didn't just go around doing magic tricks to get a crowd. Every miracle was to point to a message. He is the Son of God with the authority to forgive people of their sin if they will simply put their faith in Him. And that is the greatest miracle of all. And the reason you need to hear that is because if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I am glad that God brought you here. And it could have been a health issue, or it could have been a wealth issue, or a companionship issue, or a purpose and significance issue that brought you here today. Jesus often uses your felt needs to point you to your real need. And he cares about all those issues. I'm not saying he doesn't care. And sometimes he answers our prayers like we want him to. Other times he waits and makes us trust him. Other times he says no to those temporary things. But his primary need, his primary purpose is to focus on your primary need. And that is to forgive you of your sins so that you can be right with God and ready for eternity. Oh, and by the way, it's even better than this. Every healing Jesus performed was a glimpse of the world that Jesus is creating when he comes back one day. Don't you realize one day when Jesus comes back, he has promised that he will give us brand new bodies that are transformed like his body out of the resurrection grave, that we will get bodies that will never be sick, never grow old, never grow tired, will never die. What a day that's going to be. Don't you understand? Wealth you don't know wealth. When we get to heaven, we're walking on streets of gold. We are joint heirs with Jesus, the Son of God. So all of the universe is yours. Because what He inherits, you inherit. Companionship? You want to know companionship? You get to know God as your heavenly Father. You get to know Jesus as your big brother for eternity. You get to be brothers and sisters with all the saints of God from time past. And you get to be reunited with loved ones who have gone on before. And some of us have some people waiting for us over there. And that companionship and friendship and relationship will be sweeter than ever and we'll never say goodbye again. And you talk about purpose? We get to spend eternity in a new universe, a new earth created by Jesus, renewed by Him. We get to rule over angels. We get to serve God we get to use all of the creativity that he placed in us and we spend eternity recognizing what it really means to be fully you in Christ. But it all begins with the right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's first. It's paramount. It's primary. 
So today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, this morning, I invite you, I plead with you, I beg you. If you come to this church, I sound like a broken record. But all of the blessings of Christ flow out of that first miracle of putting your faith in Him and hearing Him say to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, when you put your confidence in Him, to hear Him say to you, your sins are forgiven. It was easier for that moment for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, than to say, rise up and walk. But just a few months later, that same Jesus refused to take the easy way out. And he stretched out his arms. And he submitted to iron Roman nails as he was crucified. And as he shed his blood. And why was he doing it? To take your punishment so that you could receive his forgiveness. He didn't take the easy way out. He took the hardest way out imaginable so that you could be forgiven of your sin. He died for you on the cross. He rose from the dead. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses alive who gave us our New Testament. And today you can put your confidence in Christ as your Savior. As we close today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And maybe you'll talk to God where you sit and put your confidence in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, receiving his forgiveness of your sin. But I want to say something real quick to those of us who are followers of Jesus. And those of us who love Fort Caroline Baptist Church. I know last Sunday, I turned the apple cart upside down for many people. I shook their world for many people. And I get it. And I'm very sympathetic towards it. And people are still grappling and wrestling with the vision and what that means for them. Especially when it comes to styles of worship. I think Jesus is grieved that Christians and churches fight over worship. Music's always changed. It always will. That's why we didn't sing Gregorian chants this morning. Aren't you grateful that music changed? I mean, I could do some Latin if you want it. That stuff's always changed. But the primary need of the people in this community has never changed. They need to hear Jesus say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And I will dedicate the rest of my days to pointing people to Jesus. And I know sometimes people think it's about crowds and big churches. It's about one more person. These friends cared about one. And they were willing to do whatever it took. And we will always be a church that feeds the hungry, that clothes the naked, that cares for the orphans, that helps the down and out, that rescues women from human trafficking. We will always be there as the church that comes alongside a woman when she's got an unwanted pregnancy and her world is upside down and she doesn't know what to do. We're always going to be that church. But that's not the primary need people have. Your most urgent need is not always your most important need. Your most important need is Jesus. And we've got to be all together in saying, let's reach one more with the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this clear, compelling example from the life of Jesus 
that our most urgent need is not always our most important need. Thank you for caring about our needs. Thank you for caring about our health and our finances and our relationships. And thank you for caring about giving us purpose and significance and meaning and satisfaction in life. But God, if we had all of that and we died without Jesus, we will die unforgiven. We will die eternally separated from you. Thank you that in Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and we can know he is the ultimate answer either now in time or when he returns, he's the ultimate answer for all those other needs. And so we can trust him. We can leave this place today saying, listen, my health is not what I want it to be and I don't want these struggles for me, but I know this, my sins are forgiven. We can leave this place today saying, I, I know I don't have as much money as other people and I know I'm struggling, but I can tell you what, I have something that money can't buy. My sins are forgiven. We may leave this place today saying, I'm burdened about a broken relationship. Or God, I'm lonely and I'm looking for a companion. But I know this. You're a God who will never leave me, never forsake me, and my sins are forgiven. And we can leave this place today saying, I'm not always sure about what my next step is and what you have planned for me. But I know this, my sins are forgiven. And all these other things will fall into place. I've already had the greatest miracle that you could ever perform in my life, the miracle of forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with you, God. And all I had to do was place my faith in Jesus. So, Father, maybe there's somebody in this room today who needs to do that right now in the stillness of this moment. I pray that right now they would say to you silently in their heart, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I've not always loved you like I should. I've not always obeyed you like I should. I've not always treated other people like I would want to be treated. And I know those things are sin. But I thank you for Jesus. I believe that he is your son who died for me on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And I confess my sin to him. Jesus, please forgive me. And by faith in him, I receive his promise that my sins are forgiven. Jesus said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, God, I believe in Jesus. So, Father, we praise you for that. We rejoice in that. We welcome every person today who is coming into the family of God, who has experienced the miracle of forgiveness through Jesus. We welcome them. We celebrate with them. And we pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen.